0: HALLOWEEN, an American holiday that is fast making inroads here in the Czech Republic and in Prague. Kids and even adults like to dress up in all kinds of costumes. If you're children, you go out and get candy, and then you don't get very much sleep that night, and if you're an adult, you get absolutely hammered. Prague, of course, is one of the most haunted, if not the most haunted city in Europe. And we're going to talk about some of the scary things here in Prague. We've got 13 frightening tales for Halloween to put you in the scary mood. And I'm here with journalist, author, longtime Prague resident, and roving guy with knowledge, Raymond Johnston.
1: Hi, Raymond. Hi, Derek.
0: I'd like to thank Raymond for coming on Prague Times and thank everybody out there for listening. A city is much more than just a collection of buildings. It's a location, it's a history, it's a culture, it's ideas and ideals, and a city is also, most importantly, the people in it. This is Prague Times, the podcast that takes a look at the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. With more than a thousand years of history, there's a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the past of Prague, but we'll also talk about the city as it is today, future plans for the city, and much more. It's Prague then, Prague now, and Prague later. And this is Prague Times. Okay, Raymond, I thought we'd start in the more northern part of the city, and kind of work our way roughly south, uh, if that makes any kind of a sense, just in case somebody wanted to try and go to all of these locations in a single fright-filled evening.
1: Someone could, could potentially do that with a tram pass, and a face mask, a special frightening face mask for this Halloween.
0: Yeah, ooh, I like that. So the first place is Stromovka Park, the largest park in the city, up here in Holoshevica in Prague 7. Raymond, tell us the story.
1: Well, Stromovka, as we all know, was um, set up by Rudolf II as a kind of tree park, and he built several artificial ponds there. So that's sort of our jumping in point. But there was a peasant uprising in 1848. And there was an occupying army, and they camped in Stromovka. And one of the soldiers in the army was a distant relative of Vlad Tepish, better known as Dracula. So he was here to put down the peasant uprising. One of his captains had some of Vlad Tepish's mystical powers and could command animals. And he was particularly good at commanding fish. And when he wasn't busy terrorizing the peasants, he would go to the lakes in Stromovka and marshal the fish, make them swim in circles, make them all line up. As superpowers go, it's not really up there. <laughs> yeah. The captain wasn't very popular. Not only did the fish not like him, nobody liked him. He was wandering through Stromovka at night. Some, uh, some local patriotic person saw him wandering on his own and figured, oh, I can pick off one of the occupying army. Hmm. So he gets himself killed by a patriotic Czech peasant and dumped, oddly enough, into the very Stramovka ponds where he was bothering the fish. So the the fish now think, good, we can also get our revenge. And they drag his corpse down in the mud and keep him down there. But since he was a distant relative of Vlad Tepish, he came back as a kind of a ghoul or a zombie. But he was so slow, he couldn't catch the fish, could once in a while barely dig himself out of the mud and get to the shore, but too slow to chase anybody. And to this day, he, he lives on the rotting remains of dead fish.
0: So any Prague people who are thinking of dressing up like a zombie, you might want to add just a dash of mud to make your costume authentic.
1: And bring some fish sauce.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So if we head a little further south between the Belvedere and the Summer Palace and Prague Castle itself, technically still in Prague 7 Letna, there is the Deer Moat or the Stag Moat and in there is one of the most famous of all movie monsters.
1: Prague has one, exactly one werewolf, or at least had one at one point. So, Rudolf II had filled the moat near Prague Castle with several animals. He's famous for his lion, and there's still a restaurant there called the Lion's Corp, because that's actually technically where the lion was kept. And, and he had some other animals. Uh, he had some, of the, some other exotic cats, and he saw some of these animals would be allowed to run around in the moat. It wasn't a moat filled with water, it was a moat for animals. Uh, um, Rudolph II was a bit of a nutter. I don't know if you've picked up on that. <laughs> so in the moat, aside with all these other animals, he had some wolves. One of the people taking care of the wolves was, as we would say now, a little bit special. Didn't talk very much with the people, but he would get in down it and with the wolves and just howl with them, and the wolves would howl back. So people regarded him as a little strange. Mm. And as time went by, he was seen less and less frequently. But there was one more wolf with the wolf pack that was never imported, never accounted for. It was mm. too old to have been recently born. Nobody knew where it came from. And nobody could find this assistant. So it of started to become clear that the assistant not only talked with the wolves, he had solely just become one of them. And uh, right after that, the wolf started getting out of the moat more and more often because uh, apparently this new wolf knew how the locks worked. So at that time, the area around the castle, just not very far from the castle, was still really rural. There were still farms quite nearby there. Pigs, cows, chickens started being mauled, killed by wild animals. But they could could never be caught, because by daytime the wolves would all be back at the moat. And eventually the uh, whole wolf pack just left There were a series of maulings around the area of Žvičani, which is now the suburb of Prague, just outside of Prague, but then was kind of a distant village. And then after that, it petered off. There were uh, some rumors of maulings and wolf attacks towards the Carpathian mountains and then nothing's been heard of them in hundreds of years. So is this former wolf keeper who became a werewolf still haunting the Carpathian mountains or did he die after a short time? Nobody knows, but that's the story of Prague's werewolf. Mm.
0: Now we go down the hill into Malastrana, to Karomelitska. I think it's not far from Umalahoglana and that area, and not terribly far from the American embassy. And there's a scary nun, I believe. And if your kids are out trick-or-treating, you might really want to watch out for this one.
1: What is now the Czech Museum of, of Music used to be a, a church and a convent for the Magdalene nuns. Hmm. And one of the things the Magdalene nuns did is they ran houses for unwed mothers, often because back in history, it was such a shame to have a baby out of wedlock that these babies would be taken and put up for adoption, uh, whether the mothers wanted to keep them or not. But the man soon out, outstripped the natural supply from unwed mothers. So she began to uh, snatch babies.
0: Like off the street?
1: Yeah, like like off the street from anywhere she could find them. She would she would snatch babies. And uh, this went on and on. And then after she died, she continued to snatch babies and does to this day. Her ghost will appear between the Museum of uh, Music and the church where the Islatku, the uh, wax infant of Jesus, is the Church of Our Lady Victorious. Right. So she kind of patrols in between there, and she'll talk to little children and try to talk to them oh, kid, do you want some candy? Follow me, I've got a special treat for you. But the thing is, only children can see her. Adults can't see her or hear her. So if you're walking with your kid in that area and all of a sudden your kid's talking to somebody who you can't see, that's a warning sign that the evil nun of the music museum is trying to snatch your child
0: and sell it somewhere.
1: Apparently they go into this weird netherworld where they don't age and if someone can ever trap the nun and stop her from being a ghost, all these hundreds of souls from over the centuries will be released back, but as kids, the age they are, so some some kid from the 1890s will still be five years old, but it'll be 2020 or 2021 and he'll have no clue what an Xbox is, no clue what a mobile phone is, but nobody knows how to stop the curse and stop her from being an evil child-stealing nun. So unless somebody randomly figures out how to trap her, all those kids' souls are trapped in some weird netherworld where she probably didn't even give them candy like she promised.
0: Right? Seriously. (music) And then there's another one in that same area, That same building. The same building. Okay, so tell us about this one.
1: This is one of the more famous ghosts of Prague, Headless Laura. Spoiler alert, she loses her head. Um, In the late 1700s, Emperor Joseph II, the guy who makes the appearance in Amadeus and says there's too many notes, he had a big religious reform, and he shut down a lot of the churches that weren't contributing to the society around them. So if you had a convent or church that was just this closed off building in a city, he said, yeah, we don't need that. We are kicking you out of that church, and we're going to take it over as real estate. So this place was turned into housing, but since the nuns' quarters were so small and so uh, inhospitable, it was housing for very people without very much money. It was yeah. low-income housing, and it was used a lot of times by itinerant actors because it could be short term housing, because nobody wanted to stay there very long, it wasn't very nice. So, this German troupe of actors had come to Prague, and they were putting on a show at the Estates Theater, which was at that time the German language theater. And uh, there was a married couple, Laura, and her husband's name's been forgotten. Laura starts taking up with this local account. So And her, her career's on the upstep, mm. getting better and better roles, more and more notoriety. While the husband's going down and down, getting non-speaking roles because he's been drinking a lot, it's unreliable. So there's this tension between the couple. It's not working out well. And then this count starts sending her gifts, which just makes the husband really mad. She makes up stories, oh, I don't know where it came from, oh, someone, some unknown admirer gave me the scarf, but he's starting to get really suspicious. And as the uh, troop is planning to move out of Prague and go to the next city, she's not really participating in learning her new role or learning anything, because she's not planning on leaving Prague. She's planning on taking up with the count. So the husband sort of puts two and two together, figures out who's sending the gifts, kind of confronts Laura about it. She denies everything, but he takes the axe that they were using to cut wood for the stove, because it's obviously a very cold little room, Mm. and cuts off her head wraps it up in a scarf that the Count had sent her, puts it in a box, and sends it to the Count, who wants to avoid a scandal, and he just quickly buries the whole thing someplace, doesn't say anything to anybody because he doesn't want to get mixed up in a scandal with some would-be actress who's now dead anyway. Why, you know, why make a scene? And the uh, acting troupe leaves, but Laura comes back, and she's looking for her head, but she's looking around the Museum of Music where it was cut off, and it's not there. It's not there. It's at the Count's garden, underneath some rose bushes, but she doesn't know to look there. Nobody can tell her because without the head, she has no ears.
0: <laughs> so that's, that's, kind of a, that's kind of like a ghost and the headless horseman, all wrapped up in one.
1: There's, there's a lot of headless ghosts in Prague. She's not the only one.
0: So now we move down to the river, to the Devil's Canal, Chertovka, which is the little canal between Malastrana and Kampa Island. And uh, a rather, I think it's pretty unique to Bohemian mythology, the water man or the water sprites or the water goblins.
1: They're found throughout Slavic mythology, but in most of Slavic mythology, they're simply large evil frogs. Here, they're more of a man in a green costume with a top hat. He often has red shoes. He's dripping. He's a bit of a funny character, not necessarily a bad guy. Though they do keep the souls of drowned people in jars because, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> so at Kampa uh, there's a Vodnik or a water sprite called Koborak. He used to hang around the Millstream area there used to be a lot of pubs there there still is a pub with a mill wheel there and he used to go to those pubs and he'd he'd sit down and talk with the people he'd talk with the fishermen tell them where the best fish were the people would buy him drinks and he'd they'd give him a little bucket of water for his feet to go in so he wouldn't get upset he could just sit there for hours with his feet in the water and so and there's this tale that he went to one pub and he didn't like the beer there uh, Prague used to have a lot of microbreweries, and not all of them were very good. And he went to one pub and said that the uh, beer was so close to water that he could just stay home and drink the river water, and it would be just about the same. And that story got around, and that pub actually almost went out of business. They, you know, quickly had to get a much better beer. And uh, he used to like the oompa music a lot. And people at that time used to, you know, go around the pubs with their accordions and play the oompa music, and people would sing along. But as times changed, they got these uh, newfangled jukeboxes, and there was jazz music, and he just wasn't a fan of jazz at all.
0: Oh, that's hysterical. He likes the accordion, but he doesn't like jazz.
1: So, and then the younger generation, they just didn't buy him beers. The pubs forgot to put out the water bowl for him to put his feet in. He just wasn't feeling the love anymore. He stopped turning up in the camp of pubs. But, you know, I think if someone was to put out a water bottle and set aside a seat for him with his name on it, you know, he he might get interested again. And then uh, in 2010, I don't know if people have gone to look, but by the big mill wheel, by the uh, Grand Priory Mill, there's now a statue of Koborek there. And and it's made by the same sculptor, Yosef Nalepa, who is famous for making a bust of Salvador Dali. There's a guy in Rigwebisari now who wanders around dressed up like a water sprite and starts... Starts trying to start conversations
0: with people. I don't know if he's... Is he caging free drinks? I think he's trying to. Uh Uh-huh. So, there you go. So, if you're wandering about on Halloween and you see someone dressed like this with little red shoes dripping, buy him a beer.
1: But don't play any jazz music.
0: I bet he hates metal. So now we cross the Charles Bridge and we go to Karlova which is that street in Old Town that leads right up to the Charles Bridge. Sometimes for Halloween, we dress up as human monsters. Of course, uh, one of the most famous ones in Britain, of course, was Sweeney Todd. And Prague has its own Sweeney Todd story, doesn't it?
1: Something like that, yeah. We have a mad barber. So this goes again to the time of Rudolf II, when everyone and their brother was trying to make turn base metal into gold, because, like, why work when you can make gold? And uh, there's a barber car the street, and because that was on the royal route, a lot of times people going to see the emperor would want to look their best, and they'd stop in to get their hair cut, and they'd always be talking about, oh, I'm going to go see Rudolf II, I'm going to get this court appointment, I'm going to make so much money. And after a while, he figured, well, you know, a barber is practically like a doctor. I'm, I'm a smart guy, you know, because barbers then did the bloodletting. They did a lot of things besides cut, cutting the hair. So he thought, well, I'm wasting my time cutting hair. I can look into this turning lead into gold business. So, so he shut down the barber shop and spent all of his savings to buy beakers and little burners and magic treatise books and all the kinds of things that you use to try to turn lead into gold. And uh, his experiments, of course, weren't working. You, you can't turn lead into gold without some kind of nuclear reactor. And even then, it's not cost effective. So he's getting further and further into debt. He's got three daughters who he's supposed to provide dowries for. They're of marriage age. They wind up giving up on him and going to make their own money. And then there weren't very many job opportunities. So, so they wind up, you know, basically living on the streets. His, his wife leaves him. She actually goes to the town wall and jumps off.
0: And dies, I assume.
1: And dies. But, uh-huh. but, but she doesn't come back as a ghost. The barber loses his, his mind, and uh, he realized he had a good thing when he had the barber shop, but now he's even lost that. So he goes around the street bothering people with his one remaining straight razor and this crazed look in his eyes, telling them they'll, he'll give them a shave and a haircut right there on the sidewalk. But, of course, he's looking a little crazy. His clothes are a little ratty, so most people are like, yeah, I'll take a hard pass on that. <laughs> little shaggy, but it's coming into style. I think, uh, I think I'll stick with it. So uh, he eventually uh, passes away. And now he comes back as a ghost, going up to people up and down the street, still holding a straight razor, but now a ghost offering to give you a very clean shave. And, and his soul could be saved if anyone would just get the free haircut, but uh, no takers. Hmm. And it's been what now? A good solid 400 years since Rudolph's time.
0: Yeah, so look, if you see this guy, just let him cut your hair. Maybe maybe give him some safety scissors instead.
1: I would definitely run an extension cord and give him an electric razor. Yeah,
0: there you go, right. You go down to the corner of Liliová, where the Golden Snake is, which was the first coffee shop in Prague, and hang a right, Old Town is filled with stories of the mystical Knights Templar.
1: So you go down Liliová Street, and you eventually come to the back of a church. It's now used by the Vaclav Havels NGO, Mm -hmm. Vision 2000, there's like still fragments of murals from when it was a church. And its history goes back a long time. It got expanded several times, but it started as a Templar church. The uh, Templars were a band of crusading knights. They uh, eventually became too powerful. They were put out of power, and most of the Templars were killed off all at once. Uh, I think back in the 1300s, was it?
0: In fact, the order that went out to round up the Templar knights for blasphemy happened on... Friday, October 13th. And that is why Friday the 13th is an unlucky day.
1: So the Templars had a few bases here in Prague. This church of St. Anne was, was one of them. And one of the knights there didn't leave with the others. So at some point, either before or after the Templars were put out of power, his head was cut off. But he got his head off, which he carries around under his arm. And on Friday nights, He rides his horse up and down Lilyová Street, uh, up to Karlova and back. And some versions say that he's flaming or the horse is flaming, but uh, the version we have just says there's smoke coming out of the horse's nostrils. Either way, if you see a man carrying his head under his shoulders, dressed in armor, riding a horse, flaming or not, that's probably our guy. I think there's only one of those on the street. He could be freed if somebody would take his own sword, take the knight's sword and stab the horse. For some reason then they would both be freed why this would free them both i don't know but that was the story and he would eventually stop people with his talking head under his arm apparently and oddly no takers people just didn't really want to stop and talk with him but one evening he met someone working in the meat trade and, and said you know hey if you just stabbed the horse i could be freed and he's like yeah that sounds like a, like a good deal but do i get to keep the horse he's like well no we both vanished in a puff of mystical smoke and he's like well i mean i'm in the butcher's union i can't go killing animals willy-nilly for free if i can't keep the horse meat i'm not going to do it and uh that was the only time someone even tried to help him and then again in the 1780s that church was shut down and it was turned into a warehouse and a, and a book printers and the ghost kind of felt indignant he's a proper church ghost he's had under arms haunting a church he's not haunting a book warehouse it is beneath his dignity so, so he's either sulking in the corner, invisible, or gone. He hasn't been seen. He's on strike. I'm hoping there'll be some interesting events at the NGO, at the uh, Havel's NGO, that he'll think, hey, you know, there's a nice party. Maybe it's time to come back and start haunting again. See, if I get one of these
0: people to stab my it, horse. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, at least get a few free hors d'oeuvres and a glass of wine.
0: Now, of course, not every costume for Halloween is scary. And even here in landlocked Prague, we still sometimes hear the call of the sea. Especially if you go just off of Revolucni into Peterska
1: Stvart. One of the more odd ghosts in Prague, con- considering we're a landlocked country, is there's a pirate.
0: Arrr, shiver, shiver me timbers. timbers.
1: So there was a Dutch pirate by the name of Red Goat Apparently, his real name was Frederick Jensen, one of the few times we actually have a ghost's name. And he sailed the seas looking for pieces of aid and other booty. So, so he'd made enemies on both sides of the law because not only was he a pirate, which gets him in trouble with the law, he didn't like to share his plunder ah. with, with his fellow pirates. Mm. And eventually he figured, well, I can just leave this all behind me and go someplace where they don't even know what pirates are and they won't be looking for me. And he figured out that Prague was pretty much the center of Europe as far from the Mediterranean as it is from the Atlantic, from the North Sea. And he figured, yeah, well, if I go there from from all sides, I'm protected. Nobody's gonna be looking for pirates here in Prague. So he had his money with him, which he he hid in his apartment on Truhlarska Street. And uh, he eventually, you know, he liked wine, women, and song. Uh, Song, not so much, more the wine and the women. (laughs) Uh, He took up with a woman uh, of the evening called Black Lily. Probably not her real name either. When both you and your partner are using phony names, that's a red flag in your relationship. And she pretended to be nice to him because he had a lot of these strange silver coins. Pieces of white are silver, by the way. Most people think they're gold. It's silver. So she'd hung out with him a couple of times at one of the local dive bars around Revolutionary. So she figures he's got to have a stash someplace, probably back in his apartment. So one night she gets him a little drunk, talks him into taking her home. She gets him even drunker. He passes out a bit and she stabs him with one of his own pirate swords, uh. kills him, tears up the apartment, eventually finds, she finds the treasure hidden in, in little stashes behind the wall boards, behind the floorboards, gets most of it. She's gone. No one ever hears of her again. So he comes back now as a pirate ghost, uh, looking up and down Revolutiony Street, look, looking up and down the bars on Gloha, trying to find Black Lily, trying to find out what happened because he doesn't remember anything, and looking for his treasure, which is gone. So, uh, unless someone can kind of convince him that Black Lily took his treasure and left and there's no point looking for it, he's going to keep wandering the streets.
0: So, if you see a pirate wandering up and down asking questions about his lost treasure, it might be an actual ghost. And
1: if you find Black Lily, my phone number is 555. <laughs>
0: All right, so now we head south, and we go to this area between Židna and Yetchna streets, kind of just a bit south of Wenceslas Square and the museum. Another classic costume, a lot of young boys like to dress like pirates, and what young lady hasn't at least dreamed of dressing up like a mermaid?
1: Yeah, this is another one that is a bit unexpected here in Prague. But we do have A Tale of a Mermaid. Up near Stepanska Street, there's this little weird neighborhood. It's all twisty little streets, and the reason it's like that is because that used to be a village. Before it was even Newtown, there was a village there, and that village had a couple of little ponds, a couple of uh, little lakes. And up in there, there's a street called Uribnichku, which is on the little lake, and you're like, why are they calling it on the little lake? There's no lake here. And Vatunik, which is in the pools. (laughs) Well, there was a lake. So long, long ago, there was a woman who fell in love with a man who ran a ferry a ferryman because a long time ago there wasn't even the charles bridge yet there wasn't even the judith bridge yet to get from one side of the Vltava to the other you had to take a ferry mm. so being a ferryman wasn't a bad job so this widow who has a young daughter takes up with this ferryman and she thinks oh this is good at my age someone finds me attractive well yeah not so much he was actually more interested in the daughter and the uh, the woman from this village came from a long line of uh, faith healers and seers and who were quite common back then. This is way back in the Pagan era. So she catches the ferryman with the daughter and curses them both to forever be connected to the water. So the ferryman uh, goes off to uh, back to his life ferrying and probably becomes a Vodnik or something eventually when he dies. Sure. And the, uh, the daughter... Becomes a mermaid. She's trapped around the pond. She's living forever at the teenage, youth age, making little uh, garlands of, flo- of water flowers for her hair and decorating herself with uh, shells or whatever, though they wouldn't have seashells there, but you, know, you get the
0: idea. River stones. River Riverstone. stones. River stones. Something.
1: Yeah. Freshwater pearls. Right. So she pops up from time to time over hundreds of, of of years in the moonlight, you know, making garlands out of flowers, and hundreds of, of years later, but, but still way back in history, a young man falls in love with her. So they're living in this, so they're in this village, there's still the little pond there, and he sees the mermaid, and uh, he falls in love with her, and the mermaid's saying, well, yeah, this isn't going to work out, These these mixed marriages just, you know... <laughs> People just don't understand. Yeah. People people are going to look at us funny. You know, I've I've got the fish tail. You don't. It's it's not going to work out. But but she says, but there's a loophole. The other mermaids have told her if his mother comes without warning, without being told there's a loophole, if his mother comes and likes her and approves the marriage, then she'll be released from being a mermaid, and they can have a normal marriage, and she'll be just like a normal teenage girl, even though she's like 500 years old. So the son brings the mother. The mother's not having it. Men don't marry fish. It's just, you know... (laughs) You know, I, I I wouldn't mind if she you know spoke German or something, but by fish, just no.
0: Yeah, right.
1: The mermaid's upset. She starts crying, hops back in the water, vanishes. The sun jumps in after her and never comes out. And they drag the pond, look for him, nothing. The pond's not even that deep. They drag the pond, can't find him. They're neither one of them seen again. So if they lived happily ever after in some second dimension fish underwater world where
0: under the sea. Yeah. Now it's under the streets though, cause that's all filled in.
1: Those streets are still there. And so that's where the mermaid would be if she was still there.
0: And her young lover trapped underneath the street.
1: For hundreds of years, but probably happy.
0: Anyone who's lived here in Prague for a while knows that Czechs and Praguers really love their food. Apparently, the food hasn't always been this good. And there is a story from the Amauzi Monastery down over by Karlovo náměstí and the Faust House, where Faust actually lived, about a chef from, from hell. hell. <laughs>
1: So the whole complex there at Imausi was a church and a huge monastery around it. That is where the monks used to say their daily prayers several Mm -hmm. times a day. And um, being a monk was supposed to be uh, not so much fun. So so the food wasn't all that great. They could make their own beer. They did have a few uh, lay people working for them. And one of the positions that was open to the public was the chef because uh, it was hit and miss that they tried with the monks each rotating to cook on different days, but not all the monks were really good at it. And they figured, you know, being austere is one thing but eating the crap brother rudolph cooks is just not happening <laughs> so uh, so they hired a chef That they had very few applicants that one guy said yeah i don't mind the hours or the bad pay or everything i'll do it yeah it turns out because he was the devil in disguise mm. and he had an evil evil plan because the monks praying so much and doing so many good deeds was really standing in the way of the devil's own plan to you know not have good things happen <laughs>
0: They're cramping his style.
1: Yeah. So he began, even though he had a very meager food budget, to make very, very tasty meals, and more and more tasty meals as time went on. And the monks spent less and less time praying, more and more time discussing, wasn't that rose hip sauce yesterday just divine? Mm. Not exactly divine, actually, now that you mention it. And they were looking more and more forward to the next meal. And the fish on Friday used to be like the low point of the week. Now it was the high point of the week that there would be flour sauces. And it would just be all oh, so tasty because, you know, carp on, on its own, not so good.
0: Not so good. Muddy.
1: A little muddy, but, but cooked with lemon and uh, parsley, which was new. Yummy, yeah. So So they spent all the time talking about what was on the menu, no time praying, no time doing good deeds, and even the abbot forgot about doing good deeds. And one day he was walking past the kitchen, heard the devil talking to himself in a strange language, thought, geez, that's odd. Nobody's registered in here as a guest. And he looks in, and the devil had gotten lazy, and he didn't transform into his chef look, his chef appearance. And he was just clear the devil there standing cooking over the cooking pot. And the abbot caught him red-handed making the meal and so the devil's been caught so what does he do what any respecting devil would do caught turns himself into a fiery black rooster and jumps out the window and wandered off and uh monks got back to praying and doing their good deeds and eating the bad food and doing a lot of repenting and soul searching but the devil you know the devil was really into recycling before it was even cool so 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 he figured he could recycle this trick and he went to parliament mm. started cooking for the politicians and uh, apparently still turns up there every time there's a crisis, turns up there, and whoever's got the idea that will actually help people, he, you know, makes sure to help cook their meals and, you know, keep them from actually thinking about what, what's going on, maybe help them miss a few votes.
0: We continue heading south, and we go to Prague's second castle, the High Castle, or Visharad. Where a pesky foreigner causes trouble.
1: Fisherrod was actually working as a fort. People don't don't realize, but I mean, it really was a functioning fort. And uh, one time it was in use was the Austrian War of Succession. So we're talking uh, right before Maria Theresa's time. There was a dispute over who was the rightful heir to the Habsburg throne, and the uh, French were here holding down Vichyrod and the Austrians were marching around someplace else causing trouble. And there was one French soldier who was quite an authoritarian. People didn't like him at all, and uh, somebody actually shot him in the back. Oh yeah, it wasn't even when there was a battle. There's actually no actual fighting at Vichyrod. There was fighting nearby but not there. but he got himself shot in the back but he still wanders around when the rest of french soldiers left and the austrians came in he stayed behind as a ghost and uh, would harass the austrian soldiers if he caught one wandering around at night on his own he would beat them up with the butt of a gun Uh, So, or at least that was the story Austrian soldiers said when they had a hangover and some unexplainable scars. (laughs) They said, it was that French ghost that caught me. I swear I wasn't in the pub all night drinking, lay wine. And (laughs) my head is pounding from being hit with a pistol, but it's not a hangover, (laughs) I swear. So, but even after the Austrians left, he stayed there. And uh, he thinks people should wander around wearing proper French military dress. So sometimes he'll catch tourists even on their own. He's not a fan of cut-off jeans, doesn't like Daisy Dukes at all, doesn't like sleeveless shirts, uh, men or women, not really big into the heavy metal logos. Okay, so he doesn't like people out of uniform, but what really gets him riled these days is people in uniform, because they are still not the proper French uniforms from the 1700s. So if you go walking around, if you're a policeman or a soldier from another army, or even a Czech soldier taking a stroll in your uniform on your day off, he gets very upset and tries to run after you and hit you across the head with the back of his phantom gun or the butt of his phantom sword. But if he does catch you, there's one way to at least get away. If you stand and salute him, he's taken aback because he doesn't know to hit you or salute back. And by the time he figures out what you to do, you have a good three step lead on him.
0: So that's good to know. Of course, one of the classic Halloween monsters is the blood sucking vampire. And Prague has one out in Prague 3 at Olshanska Cemetery.
1: There was a big vampire panic throughout what was the Czech Republic uh, back, in the, back in the 1750s, though Prague was a bit left out of it. There's vampires around Prague, but Prague just has one, and it's it's a bit of an odd one. His name is Vampire Lick It Up Bloody Knee.
0: That's a rapper name.
1: <laughs> he was cool before his time, and as Kiss fans know, Lick It Up was one of their big hits.
0: Oh, that's true. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. So, Possibly the inspiration for that song though, I seriously doubt it. His Czech name is Upir Opier's Vampire. Dopiech Upir Dópiecz Kváve Kolinó. But Lick It Up, Bloody Knee is what we're going to call him because that is a bit of a mouthful. The legend is, he was a bit of a poor man, a bit of a pauper. Yeah, he was in some village outside of Prague, and uh, he was one of those people who would hang around the bars and uh, sort of try to tell you interesting stories and beg for a drink, or if people left, he would finish the drinks that were left behind. That's Ew, nasty. That's why he gets the name Lick It Up or Drink It Up. So he would do that, and one day he's in this village, and there's a traveling salesman comes through, and he orders red wine, the salesman orders red wine, and he's talking to somebody, goes to show him the sample case and whatever, and he's gone for a little while, comes back, and his wine's gone. And he accuses uh, Lick It Up of drinking his wine, which was true. And they get into a bit of a fight because Lick It Up doesn't have the money to buy a new wine. The salesman's not amused at all. And they get into a fight, and the uh, salesman actually bites Lick It Up in the fight. Did I mention the salesman was from Transylvania?
0: I think I know what happens next.
1: But he's using right. the, the salesman's story as cover for being a vampire going from town to town. So Mr. Lick It Up gets sick and dies, as you do after being bitten by a stranger in a pub outside of Prague. <coughs> but he has no money for a funeral. Mm. So they toss him into a mass grave. And then a little while after, he's covered over lightly with, with dirt because they don't really bother very much with these things because so they just have, just have to dig up the next day and throw more people in. So he pulls himself out, and he's very confused, like, why am I in the cemetery? Or why am I dead? Or why did I not want to get up in the daytime? Questions everyone asks when they first become a vampire. Vampires can't go very far from their cemetery dirt. That's why, you know, Dracula's always traveling with his dirt filled coffin, things, things like that. So he can't go very far from Oshanska Cemetery, though for him, since, since it was a mass grave, the whole cemetery is his dirt. But he always wants to make sure to get back before closing time. So he seldom ventures outside the gates, and then it's only open when it's dark a few months of the year. Mm. So, so he really has to be very careful to, you know, watch his diet, make sure he gets his fill in the dark months but he's, he's too shy to actually attack people and bite them. So what he does is he hides behind a tombstone or hides behind a mausoleum and waits for somebody to, to trip and fall in the dark and cut their knee or injure their elbow. And then he runs up and he licks your wound. And that's how he gets his blood because he's too shy to actually, you know, tap you on the back and bite you in the neck. Sometimes he ventures as far as the Meziherz uh, uh, tram stop to wait for a tram accident. And possibly as far as the Parakarshka, which has a, a children's area. So you might see the vampire hanging around Parakarshka in the children a- children's area right next to that little pub there.
0: Waiting waiting, like for a kid to fall off a swing Yeah, waiting something. for a kid
1: to fall off a swing so he can lick up the wound.
0: If you get injured in this area and you are licked by someone, it's probably this not terribly aggressive vampire.
1: And uh, the shame, shame of it is he's such a poor, pathetic vampire that they won't even give him his union membership cards for the Vampire Union. Oh. And Prague, since he's Prague's only vampire, Prague still does not have a Vampire Union chapter.
0: That's very sad. That's very sad. Now we go really far south, way down to Prague 10 and Zabelice, where there's a Zamek, there's a chateau out there, uh, not terribly far from Botic, the small creek, and a rather famous 14th century female ghost
1: so through central europe we have a kind of ghost and it's not a bad ghost usually they're okay or not bad and and it's a white lady There's several white ladies at different castles. The one in Prague is at Zabulitsa which was a uh, chateau for someone who was uh, making wine of Vintner, because that was all agricultural area now that is private property you can photograph it from the outside but you can't really get in anymore the groundskeeper would at night be wandering around with the uh, gamekeeper and, and the gamekeeper's dog uh, making sure nobody was poaching on the ground and making sure nobody was stealing the grapes or anything like that they had their like hourly patrols to do the chateau should have been dark as it was midnight but and, and they would see this light up in the window and they would see a lady up there in white but by the time they always got up there she was gone and, and the dog was supposed to like bark when there was a stranger there but he would never bark when they saw this woman because apparently she wasn't real she was an apparition and there were several sightings and they stepped up the patrols and were looking all over but every time she she was saw by the time someone could say hey i found her come with me we'll catch her she was gone the guards found her always like near the same room she would have her head down in her hands She she would be reading this book by candlelight and whenever they came back they could smell the candlelight smoke but no book no white lady this went on for months and months and months They never quite caught her, finally the owners of the chateau got really sick of it. So they had the church bell transported from the church at Hamersky ribnik The church is still there. There's a little lake there still, and there's this little village church there still. And they had the uh, church bell moved over, and they rang the church bell all night and said exorcism prayers and said the Hail Marys and everything you do to get rid of a ghost. And since then, the white lady hasn't been seen in Zabi So it worked? It worked, apparently.
0: That's 13, unlucky 13, terrifying tales for Halloween in Prague. You can find these stories and a lot more at the ghost map of Prague that Raymond has available on the internet. You did that for Magic Bohemia, I think, yeah?
1: Yes, magicbohemia.com is the site where you you can find versions of a lot of these stories. There, I think all these stories are on the site and many more.
0: And uh, check the episode description for a link to that. And I know you also, all of us use different books to do some of our research, I know you—you you showed me one by the Zlata Praha folks, the Prague for the ghosts uh, book.
1: Yeah. But when I came here 25 years ago, this book was in all the tourist shops ev- everywhere. It was everywhere. And uh, there's an English version, a Czech version, and a German version. It's weird. It's got dozens of these stories. Uh, I think it's the best collection of the stories. I have other books too, and they're a bit hit and miss. But this one has the best set of stories. But it's kind of weird because it's kind of like a children's book. It's got kind of oversized print a bit. So it's large type. But a lot of the, many of the illustrations aren't really suitable for children.
0: <laughs> That's true. There's a lot, it's a lot of female male nudity in those drawings.
1: <laughs> yeah, and um, this was written uh, quite some time ago, so it's uh, a little bit not politically correct in some of the stories. But I think we can forgive them because it's because it's a little bit old. Where this was printed more? in the 90s, but this, this writer was uh, well-known in the 80s and earlier. And, and actually, the, the man who wrote it, there's a statue of him in Kodov. Miloslav leak and in a park in Kodov, there is his bust, because he wrote several well-respected, silly children's books in Czech. Oh,
0: <laughs> huh, isn't that crazy? And then there's this book, which has 140 ghost stories, which is, I think, just still just scratches the surface of Prague.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot, especially when you get out into the Czech Republic, there's a lot of stories.
0: And everyone out there, have a happy Halloween. Boo! Yeah, happy, Halloween,
1: happy Halloween, everybody. everybody. And remember to social distance wearing your mask while you're begging for candy. Or drinks. But if you're begging for drinks, don't let some traveling salesman bite you in
0: the arm. Word to the wise. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prague Times. If you liked this episode, be sure to like it or share it and tell your friends. Check us out on all of our social media platforms for extra goodies as well. Until next time, this has been Prague Times.